Hello, hello, sisterhood. So happy to be back in the house of God and hear some more. Yes? Yes, yes. Welcome to lesson seven of our original women curriculum. Today we're going to talk about Hannah and her courage to surrender. Now when I say that, you might right away think, wait a minute, courage to surrender, that seems like an oxymoron. I don't need courage to surrender. If I surrender, I quit. Throw in the towel. What do you need courage for for that? But in fact, life experience tells us that choosing to surrender can at times lead to such things as defeat or um, loss. For example, if in a sporting competition you surrender, you will lose the game, right? And in a military battle, if you surrender, defeat is yours. If I surrender to my flesh, I'm probably going to quit my diet, yes? Mm -hmm. But surrender doesn't necessarily always inherently mean losing something. Sometimes surrender can lead to much gain, so bear with me for a moment. Every day there are natural things that you and I have no control over, and whether we realize it or not, by submitting to those things, by surrendering to them, we do end up in the end gaining. For example, let's say that you surrender to the weather forecast that says it's going to pour, and by surrendering to that forecast, you pack the raincoat and you carry the umbrella. Guess what? You gain warmth and dryness as a result, yes? And if you surrender to traffic laws, which say take turns at the intersection, or merge onto the freeway, by surrendering to those traffic laws, you in fact gain safe travel, yes? Let's say that you surrender to the Department of Education every fall and you send your children, your precious dear children, to school or perhaps educate them in your home. Hmm? You gain, in the end, by surrendering to the Department of Education, you gain smarter children. So maybe you haven't thought about that, but I bring it up because I think for some of us, surrender has become a nasty word. It's a word that we try to stiff arm and stay away from. But in fact, especially where our walk with the Lord is concerned, surrender is an awesome word. If we apply the definition of surrender to a walk with the Lord, then we can unpack today, and this is what we're going to do, what it really means to yield to the power and control and possession of our Heavenly Father. All right? We can unpack what it really means to give ourselves up under the power of our Father God. And again, even as I say this, perhaps some of you are having a little wave of apprehension or your thought is, oh my goodness, this seems like a big deal. Or um, this may not be easy. It sure doesn't sound like fun. And here's why. Surrendering to God requires us to come to terms with some things that, frankly, we just don't like to come to terms with. And I'm the queen of no fluff, right? So I'm just going to tell you like it is. And hopefully you'll be able to bear witness and say, yeah, yep, you're right. I love you enough to tell you this. There are things that we cannot control. Hmm? And there are things that we, not, we are not equipped or intended to handle. There are things that we cannot fully understand or plan or predict or figure out. And for some of you who are really smart, that's a tough one. There are some things that only God himself can do. And so our role then is to relinquish, say relinquish, those things to God. So with that having been said, maybe now you can understand why I've titled the lesson Courage to Surrender. The fact is we need courage to surrender to God. We need courage because it's opposite of our natural human inclination 
to be in charge and to do and to take control and to figure everything out. We need courage to trust God. We need courage to relinquish our children to Jesus. We need courage to release our career path to him. Yes? We gain courage by getting to know him better. So I ask you today, how well do you know the one to whom you surrender? I love to refer often to Jesus. I look to him all the time as my living example because you know what? He knew his father. It's right for us to look to him as our example. He fully surrendered his very life to God, didn't he? And we know this because in the garden, in Matthew 26, 39, it says that he went a little further and he fell on his face and he prayed and he said, oh, my father, if it's possible, I'd rather not do this. I'd rather not go through with it. I am not looking forward to this. Let this, ca- this cup pass, God, but not as I will, as you will. And sometimes we can say, well, that's Jesus. Of course Jesus did that because Jesus is Jesus. I want to remind you that he came from heaven and lived on earth as a man, leaving deity in heaven. He, in fact, had to learn how to choose. He had to learn how to trust. He had to learn how to grow, just like you and I do. Jesus fully trusted God. He surrendered his very life to God because he fully knew God. So what does that mean for me and you? That means we ought to endeavor to know God better. Yes, 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 yes. Let me remind you today, some characteristics of our Father God. God is good, say good, and he's merciful. God is love, and God loves. Isn't that something? He is love, and he loves. God is with us. Say with us. Hmm? I like you to participate. God is in control. This is the truth. God is faithful. And while each of these truths just scratch the surface of our Father God, I want to encourage you that although this lesson is not about studying the attributes of our God, in doing so, you will find yourself more apt to surrender to him. You'll notice that there is an addendum to your handout this week, and I've put together this list of scriptures for you that support each of those truths that I just quickly went over. Spend time getting to know your Father. Spend time meditating upon these scriptures. Because if you meditate more upon the one to whom you surrender than what it is that you are surrendering, you will find yourself in a much better place. And I believe that's what Hannah did, actually. Now, most of you probably are very familiar with Hannah's story, and that's great. But today, I want to invite you to slow down and to really take a look at her story with me. The text actually only covers about 12 verses in the book of 1 Samuel. That's less than you know, half of a column, probably, in your Bible. But I, wanna, I just want to share with you my heart in this lesson and how to, take, how to take a look at Hannah's life. I was thinking about how today our, our young children and our, this modern generation, and most of us who have our iPhones, we look at pictures and we do like this because we've taken 25 of the same experience, right? We look and we look and we look. But back in the day, we used to actually put pictures in an album and there might be one photograph from that birthday party. And it was up to the observer to really gaze at that image, to really take a long, careful look, to see who was happy and who was not. 
who isn't enjoying himself or what have you. And so I invite you today to gaze at this story with me. If we are going to liken it to, say, a, a, a drive, and maybe some of you don't even know what this is, but back in the day, we used to take a Sunday afternoon leisure family drive where it didn't matter what time we got anywhere because we were just going with the flow and pausing where we were led to pause. We weren't trying to break a record and get there in five seconds so that we can get somewhere else in five more seconds, amen? So you come on, me, come on my drive with me today, will you? Will you come with me and gaze at the picture of Hannah's life? Okay, so um, just some background information. We first of all know that the text comes from 1 Samuel chapter 1. And Hannah was Elkanah's first wife. And after 10 years of marriage, Hannah remained barren. Now in Jewish custom, it was deemed that a man could and was kind of obligated to take another wife if his first wife was barren so that he could fulfill the commandment to be fruitful and multiply. And so... Elkanah took Penina as his second wife, and she bore him many children. And year after year, they traveled together, all of them, to Shiloh in order to offer sacrifice and worship the Lord. The Bible tells us that Elkanah gave offerings to both of his wives, but to Hannah he gave a double portion, which can tell us that he loved her very, very much. Now, all the while, Penina, Penina, sorry, I kind of mess up her pronunciation. I, I'm, I'm thinking it's okay, though, if I, if I do that once in a while. She provoked Hannah. Penina wasn't friendly to Hannah. She made fun of her and ridiculed her because she had remained barren. And, of course, Hannah then had a lot of pain, turmoil. She wept often. Now, I think about this story, and I would say to you that I see a progression of surrender in Hannah's story, but I'm not here to tell you that I have three easy steps to surrender to offer you, or that there are certain elements of surrender that have to be done in a certain chronological order. Why? Because every circumstance that requires surrender is distinctly unique, okay? I'm just praying today that as we study these observations, we can, in fact, draw parallels to our own lives and be able to walk a little bit closer to how Hannah did it, be inspired to follow her example. So my first observation is this. Hannah surrendered her feelings and got real with God. Hmm. Let's just consider a little bit the reality of her circumstances. She's married to the love of her life. Elkanah treated her well. She dreamed of being the mother of his children. We could surmise that as that wasn't happening, the liar lied to her, and she entertained, you know, something's wrong with you, Hannah. Yeah. You're cursed constantly. She was likely the object of rumors amongst the village chatter. She probably contended in that comparison game, and often, almost, if not every time, almost every time would feel like less than. And as difficult as all of that had to have been, can you just imagine for a moment the feelings that she encountered when her husband took another woman as a wife who began to bear his offspring. Imagine that. 1 Samuel 1, 6 through 10 says this, her rival also provoked her, Hannah, severely to make her miserable because the Lord had closed her womb. And so it was year by year when she went up to the house of the Lord that she, meaning Penina, provoked her. Therefore she wept, Hannah wept, and she was so sad, in fact, the Bible says here, that she did not eat. Then Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? Why do you not eat? And why is your heart 
grieved. Am I not better to you than ten sons? I want to pause here for just a second and see that Penina continually harassed Hannah. Day after day and year after year, this torment went on. We can also see here that being a man, Hannah's husband couldn't really relate to her grief or her sadness. I mean, he loved her. He cared for her. He was providing for her. And being, again, I feel like it's just a man, the man's incapacity to fully grasp what she was experiencing. And Hannah put up with this over and over and endured year after year until something changed. Again, a long gaze at this one image. Right between verses 8 and 9, Hannah experienced a profoundly important moment. I believe that it was a moment where she decided something pretty big, something like, I'm not going to do this anymore. Look at verse 9. So Hannah arose after they finished eating and drinking in Shiloh. And Eli, the priest, was sitting on the seat by the doorpost of the tabernacle of the Lord, and she was in bitterness of soul and prayed to the Lord and wept in anguish. Verse 9 tells us Hannah arose. She got up. She changed her position. I believe that Hannah excused herself from the table of despair, from the same old, same old, same old conversation. And Hannah instead went to the Lord. She got messy before the Lord. She presented her bitter soul to the Lord. The Bible says she wept in anguish. Can we just pause again here and hang out for just a second? Ladies, it is okay for you to weep in anguish to the Lord. Mm. In verse 15, Eli, the priest, begins to question her about her praying. In fact, he wonders if she's drunk. And Hannah says, no, 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 no. I was pouring out my heart to the Lord. And I think, wow, for a priest to have said that about a woman, I wonder, has he ever seen a woman get real with the Lord before? Isn't that interesting? She's just being real. Whatever walls had been built up, tore down. Any facade that Hannah was standing behind, attempting to live behind, was destroyed. Hannah surrendered the reality of her feelings, the burden that she'd been carrying. I believe that right there, Hannah discovered she just couldn't continue ignoring the heaviness of these emotions. Now, hear me. We talk often. I have stood before you many times at Sisterhood, declaring that we are not led by emotion. We are children of God led by his Holy Spirit, amen? We live by faith in God and all that he says. And while this is indeed true, we must also recognize the need we have to be balanced, all right? Let's recognize today that God wired us to have feelings, to go through life feeling. Without feelings, we would be robots, wouldn't we? I believe that a mistake that many of us make, both in the church and without, is that we deny that we feel. We deny it. How are you? Fine. How are you? Fine. Nobody's fine. (laughs) Can we just be real? I was thinking as I was meditating and praying about this lesson, all of a sudden it occurred to me, why? Why is it That when you're telling a story that comes from the depths of your heart, that's laden with deep sentiment, and you begin to shed tears in your telling of the story, why do you stop and say, I'm sorry, I'm sorry? 
Why? Who told us that that was something to apologize for? Listen, God is not shocked that we have times when we feel sad or frustrated or hurt. He wasn't shocked by Hannah's panina, and he's not shocked by yours either. He, he can handle it. He fashioned us, in fact, as three-part beings. We have a spirit. We are spirits. We have a soul, and we live in our body, our earth suit. The soul is comprised of the mind, the will, and the emotions. Let's not get weird and deny that we have them. That makes us a little flaky, frankly. It's disingenuous to experience grave hardship and yet walk around saying, I'm fine. I'm fine. You know, the Father has never asked anyone to pretend. Look at your Bible. Paul says, wretched man that I am. He acknowledged something that he was feeling. David acknowledged, why, I am so downcast. I'm depressed. He had feelings. When Mary had to watch and witness and endure all that Jesus went through. The Bible tells us that it was a sword piercing her soul. Do you hear pain? Most of the time, everything really isn't fine, like we say. Imagine yourself waiting to greet your little girl off the school bus. And you're standing in your spot, and the bus pulls up. <laughs> and the usual is that eye contact is made as she walks one past past one window and another and another into the door, and the door flings open, right? And her smile grows bigger and bigger on her face, and the skip in her step grows and grows as she gets closer to you and you embrace for the welcome home hug. But let's say today it's not all that. It's not normal at all. Her head is down as she passes each window. And she's barely making eye contact as the door opens. She's glancing sheepishly, but only to hide her sorrow. You can tell that her lip is quivering. She's walking slowly. She gets to you in your extended arms. Clearly, you know something's wrong. And you say, honey, what's going on? What's the matter? And she says, I'm fine. The mommy's heart is broken because you yearn to know. You yearn to be aware. You yearn to help. What does it do to the father when we deny our feelings? How does it stifle your relationships when your best friend says, how are you, and you can't be real with her? Heavenly Father desires that we express ourselves to him. In James 4.8, we read, come close to God, and he will come close to you. Psalm 145.18 says, the Lord is close to all who call on him. Yes, listen to this, to all who call on him in truth. Let's be those who get real with the Lord. Amen? Can we surrender our feelings to him? The second observation we can make about Hannah's courage and surrender is that she surrendered her attempts to handle it and to make it better. Now, while there is no verse that explicitly states it that way, I propose that this is true. Again, we're taking a long look at this story, a long look at this image, so to say. Let's just keep in mind that people in our Bible, you know what they are? They're people. <laughs> They're people, normal, everyday people like me and you. And in her being a normal person, Hannah more than likely instituted some coping strategies to deal with this wicked woman. Hmm? Perhaps she tried positive thinking and affirming self-talk. Perhaps she counted to 10. 
because she didn't want to engage in nastiness with this lady. Perhaps she just flexed and was strong, you know, hold my head up, shoulders back, prepared herself mentally to have to look at this woman face to face. We can imagine that these efforts may have helped to a certain degree, but they just couldn't really sustain her over the long time. Her efforts weren't enough because her efforts were all about her. Again, I'm proposing this. There is no scripture that says her efforts were all about her, but Hannah was a real woman like me and you. And I've come to the, to the realization that my efforts don't cut it. Mm -mm. I believe that Hannah moved from relying upon her own strength and her own efforts to surrendering fully to God's. May we do the same. Jesus said, without me, you can do nothing. We can't heal ourselves. God says, I'm the Lord who heals you. That's Exodus 15, 26. Ephesians 3, 16 makes it really clear that we can't be strong in and of ourselves. We only gain strength through his glorious and unlimited power of the Holy Spirit alive in us. David said, the Lord is the strength of my life, right? Jesus told Paul that when we are weak, he is strong. We can't gain God's strength until we first acknowledge we're weak. Surrender that to him. Certainly, you know, we cannot make ourselves have peace. I mean, look at that. that is, that's in itself an oxymoron. I'm peaceful. I'm going to be peaceful today. No, Jesus is like, Kristen, ladies, no, no, no. It's not how it works. It's my peace, and I give it to you. It's your role just to take it. Surrender your efforts and let God do what needs to be done. I know, it's counterintuitive. I remember years ago hearing a man that was leading us in a Bible study say these sorts of things, and I just felt my head going, tilt. Surely I have to do something. I want to propose to you that what you can do is in the quiet recesses of your spirit, who you are, you spend time with him, you just imagine that he would engulf you as an easy chair, yes. that his presence is there to hold you and to support you to comfort you. Mm. The third observation about Hannah's courageous surrender is that she surrendered her desires and her will. We know she desired a baby. A desire is a conscious impulse towards something that promises enjoyment or satisfaction in attaining. It's also a longing, a craving, something hoped for. Will you read with me just Psalm 37 verse four? We'll stop after verse four, ready? Delight yourself also in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. Don't we love the second part of that verse? He gives us the desires of our heart. Do we love it? Yes, yes, yes. It's a little less cozy to recognize the condition of the first part of the verse, isn't it? We are not to delight in what we yearn for. We're not to set our delight on obtaining what we want. No, 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 no as we live our lives united with him and delighting in him and prioritizing him and drawing near to him, then you know what happens? He gives us heart desires that line up with his heart desires. And then he brings those things to pass. Looking at verse five, read this with me. Commit your way to the Lord, trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. Who brings it to pass? He does, 
And what's the prerequisite? We commit our way to the Lord. Can you hear surrender implied in these scriptures? Hmm? Hmm. Let's not overcomplicate this. Really. Our role is to trust him. Everybody just go, ah. Really? That's all he's asking. Will you trust me? Will you get to know me a little better and recognize that I love you and I am honest? Trust me. We can postulate that Hannah desired a baby because she had a maternal instinct to bear a child. Or she wanted to please her husband to produce his offspring. Or just simply to avoid the whole ridicule and label of being cursed, right? And while these are valid reasons to have a baby, I'm going to propose to you that they're probably not in line with God's desires to the degree that God would have liked. Now, I'm not trying to throw Hannah under the bus. I'm not suggesting that she was intentionally being selfish. I mean, certainly, selfish desires are common because they stem from selfish natures and welcome to being a human being. But James writes about this in his call to pure-hearted living, Jesus-centered living in James 4, 2 through 3. I'm going to read this slowly, and I want to ask you to just let him speak to you. You want what you don't have, so you scheme and you kill to get it. You're jealous of what others have, but you can't get it, so you fight and wage war to take it away from them. Yet you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. And even when you ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. You want only what will give you pleasure. You want only what will give you pleasure. If we're honest, we'd say we ask with wrong motive all the time. All the time. I want to testify that when Keith and I shifted our asking from what gives us pleasure to what gives him pleasure, really everything changed. We were married in 1990. 18 months later, built a starter home. We had lots and lots of goals, lots of plans. We were going to have a big family. We were going to make lots of money. We were going to save lots of money. We were going to build a bigger, better house really fast. <laughs> and we dealt with some disappointments along the way. And year after year, we strove and strove to fill those desires. And year after year, those desires, many of them were unfulfilled. And in 1995, in the midst of great heartache and a lot of pain, we dealt with some infertility issues that wrecked us and fell to our knees and surrendered to Jesus gave our lives to him, and began to really accept his invitation, draw near to him, enjoyed learning of his ways and embracing his promises, basically just got all in. And he then began to bring about changes and transforming our hearts and aligning our hearts with his. Regarding having kids, if I'm really honest with you, I would tell you this. I wanted to be a mom and be the mother of Keith's children because, you know what, I had been completely infatuated with him in high school. <laughs> I mean, it's kind of sickening, actually, <laughs> because I would stare at his picture in the 10th grade, like in my bedroom, all Saturday, all Sunday, get to school, look for him in the hallways, my heart would stop beating. I mean, sickening, you know what I mean? 
But when we got married, I continued that residue was still kind of hanging in me. Praise the Lord, you got to love your man, right? But I was infatuated with the idea of seeing a little Keith running around. I love my husband's hands. And as a young wife, I dreamt of what would those hands look like, small, mini, mini size, on the frame of a little boy running around. I wanted to know how tall and athletic our kids would be because we were both tall and athletic. I dreamt about whose voice they'd have and whose laugh they'd have and what personality qualities we'd see in, one, in all of our children and so on and so forth. I wanted to bear children so basically so I could see us in a life. And you know what? There's nothing wrong with that. But as I drew to know the Lord, and I came to know Jesus, what I found was that I longed to have a family to impart the love of Jesus into them and to teach his grace and his power. I wanted to do ministry as a family. I wanted our lives to give glory to the king. And I didn't realize it at the time, but now looking back, I see fully that as we were learning to delight ourselves in the Lord, you know what? He was replacing our desires with his desires. God desires that families would glorify and promote him, not themselves. I look back and see that when our hearts were aligned with the heart of God, you know what? He moved supernaturally. In four years' time, God brought us three amazing children. Nothing short of miraculous. It's God who changes hearts. God who works in those who fully surrender to him. His ways are so high and so good. He longs for us to surrender to him. Again, not that we would lose, but that rather we would experience much gain. Surrender is a good thing, a good thing. But what is Holy Spirit speaking to you right now? What is he pricking in your heart to release to him? What have you been clutching what can you give to him, fully submit to him, and let him go to work on? My, my, my. Let's return to Hannah's story, see how things played out for her. It's in 1 Samuel 1.11 that we can see that Hannah's desires aligned with the desires of the Lord. She made a vow and she said, Lord of hosts, if you'll indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant and remember me and not forget your maidservant, but will give your maidservant a male child, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life. The new living there says, if you will give me a son, I will give him back to you. Hannah promises to surrender her fulfilled desire fully over to God. Note that in that scripture, in that one verse, she refers to herself as the maidservant of the Lord three times. What does a servant of the Lord do? A servant of the Lord serves the Lord. A servant of the Lord holds in her heart what he holds in his. A servant of the Lord does not have desires that are self-centered or self-serving or strictly for her benefit. No, no, no. Rather, a servant of the Lord has desires that are his desires. She's in line with him. God-centered desires intended for his glory. For the first time, we hear motive in Hannah's desire to bear a child. She didn't want to see what little Elkanah was going to look like running through the village. She wasn't wondering about the athletic prowess in her offspring with her husband. She wanted to have a son so that she could dedicate him to the Lord. Whew, what a change. She even recognized that her desires had changed. Look at verse 16. She says to the priest, Don't consider your maidservant a wicked woman, for out of the abundance of my complaint and grief, I've spoken. 
Until now, until now, I used to speak out of grief and complaint. Until now. Now, after I'm going to surrender and get real with you, God, I'm going to give you my emotion and my desires. Now, I want my will to be aligned with yours. Now, we can go in one accord. And from that moment on, the power in a courageous surrender went to work. You could even write this little phrase down. God's supernatural plans are unleashed when we surrender our lives to the Lord. You want to see the supernatural? Surrender. Mm-hmm-hmm. There's a note in my New Spirit-Filled Life Bible It says this. It's kind of lengthy, but it warrants hearing, so please pay attention. God uses the burden of Hannah's heart to bring a surprisingly larger solution to a burden of his own heart. You see, barrenness was not only Hannah's condition, but Israel's condition as well. It was a season of spiritual need and with little prophetic activity. And God sought a voice to speak on his behalf and to his people. Hannah could not know that her intense intercession for a child was moving in concert with God, bringing her a son, but also bringing forth the will and blessing of God for an entire nation. So much bigger than what we think. So much bigger when we surrender to God. He does so much bigger than what we had on our radar. As she entrusts and surrenders the longings of her heart to God, he moves on her behalf and also advances his larger plan through her at the same time. Hallelujah. What higher calling could there be than to move in concert with God? To surrender is to move in concert with God. What if, ladies, what if we decided to begin today to live that way? focused solely on the desires that God holds in his heart. Jesus, we know that he surrendered his will to the garden. We talked about it earlier. And he told us to pray, your will be done. When we pray, your will be done, we're praying, God, your word be done, because his will and his word are one and the same. We pray, your will be done, we're saying, I fully trust you. When we pray, your will be done, you're saying, I draw near. I camp right close with you, heart to heart. You say, change me, Lord. Make me more in tune with you. And when we pray like that, he hears us. Hannah surrendered her will and her desires to God's. She moved in concert with him. After, After speaking with Eli the priest, she walked away with confidence, you know what? Expecting a baby. Hmm. 1 Samuel 17, 18, uh, verses 17, 18, chapter 1. The priest Eli answers and says, Go in peace, and the God of Israel grant your petition which you've asked of him. And she, Hannah, says, Let your maidservant find favor in your sight. And so the woman went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. Ladies, I pray that you, each and every one of you, gain courage to surrender to the Lord. Let me pray for you. Father, we thank you, Lord, for Hannah's example. We thank you, Lord. We ask you to reveal to us more of who you are so that we are better apt to to surrender fully to you. We entrust our feelings to you. We give you our attempts to handle it. Father, we surrender our desires. We surrender our wills to you, Lord. 
We acknowledge our need for your supernatural power, God. We pray, Lord, will you transform us? Will you line us completely with your heart, with your desires, Father, your perfect will? We courageously surrender for your glory, God, and for our good. Thank you, Father. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen.